Hello and good afternoon and welcome to the latest episode of La Magicast. I'm your host Scott Monroe. A happy Monday to you all. Welcome to episode 216. Um, today we'll be reviewing Torino 1, AS Roma 1, um, speaking about the game itself. And we'll be doing a preview of Thursday's game against Genoa as there is some midweek Serie A action which kicks off with... Lecce travelling to Minos Juventus to start match day six on tomorrow evening. With me today is Joey. Joey, how are you? Good, good. Frustrated of what we're going to speak about. But other than that, uh, good. Can't complain in you. I'm all good. I'm all good. Just enjoyed a nice lunch in town centre with my mum and her sister. Um, No meltdown. Just frustration, frustration and annoying. Yeah, but no, yeah. Uh, no meltdown. Lots no, of football to play. Lots of football to play. I will bring this up also because my tweet I tweeted out this morning has caught some traction, and it's good to see that a lot of people are agreeing with me. But we'll go into that at the end or after we talk about the Torino draw. Um, so Torino one, Roma one. Romelu Lukaku scoring his third goal in a week, and then Duvan Zapata scoring an absolute brilliant header from a set piece, which I may talk about in a bit because I don't think it was a foul. Um, but for me, I don't think it's the worst point. I think a lot of people may have had the meltdown. I am going to say it with quotation marks because Roma were in the lead. And then drop two points. Um, but in hindsight, I think a draw may have been the best result. Roma had some chances, or a lot better in the second half. Torino had some good chances. They looked a bit more uh, attack-minded with Sek, Sapta, Vlasic, and who was the guy that came? Oh, Caramo, when he came on. Like, Juric's substitutions sort of changed it. You may talk about Mourinho's substitutions. But overall, is it a Glass half empty or glass half full, Joey? Oh, that's... Uh, or both. Or both. both. Yeah, they're both. both. It's, t- it's tough to answer. So uh, it's the frustration and annoyance of this game is the in the manner of how Roma um, got to this result. It was you're five to ten minutes away from getting a important result away in Turin, which I know it's a stadium we struggle to score against Zurich. And this is where the frustration is, is we had it. We had almost everything we wanted to a T. We brought in the the big name, Lukaku. He scores a goal, which I'll repeat, I don't think our other strikers score in that type of way and in that type of game and environment. And we got the big goal at 1-0, and just we have usually we have the sh- solid surefire Mourinho defending, not giving up the lead. I guess it's right. There's a lot of um, there's a bit of a mix of the defenders because we had Urente and and Dika playing rather than Smalling and Ibanez of last year, and we just couldn't hold on. And it had to be Zapata too. So it's just 
that's the frustrating is we just couldn't hold on. We gave the ball away cheaply with Paredes. We took a cheap foul, which we'll talk about whether it was foul or not. And that's the frustration part. And we just cannot seem to get on a good run of games, um, even if we play well or not. Just getting um, two wins in a row. We're looking to make it three in a week. We have two, you know, two relatively complicated fixtures coming up. I know it's against smaller size. So that's the frustration part is we had the lead. I thought we did all right um, in certain areas. I thought they looked lively. They weren't the most uh, creative uh, team going forward tonight. I'll admit that. They tried too many air balls to Lukaku, which it was better to feed him on the ground because Bongiorno had a lovely game. But that's how Torino play you. We put on a terrible pitch. So against all these conditions against having multiple guys injured, Smalling, Renato, Sanchez, and Jose even said it, Pellegrini and Awar weren't uh, weren't really able to play. We almost were so close to a victory, and really that's, that's the frustration. I thought we did okay enough to get a victory. We didn't play the greatest, but again, good teams find a way to win, and we're always just right there, but we never just get over the line. So... That's what's frustrating, but overall, if you look at it in the balance, I mean, that's a fair result as both teams had chances and no one really dominated the other. I I totally agree. You made a really excellent point. You brought up players who were, who would be starters. Would you agree? Uh, Or actually, they would be small in, uh, Pellegrini, Owa, Sanchez. That's your spine of your team. And if you played the three five two, you can add Lukaku and Dybala up top. So you're missing a central mid, uh, um, sorry, a centre back, which is your centre back of the back three, who's been the rock of the team for two two and a half years. You're missing your captain, who can be a hit and miss, but he's been quite a hit recently. Um, and then you're missing two new signings, one who's very injury prone and one who maybe, I think, is it fatigue issues with Husamawa or some muscular problems? It, it seems to be a, a mix of both. I mean, he played against Sheriff but couldn't play today, so I, I would assume he doesn't have any new injury. I would assume it's just recovering at 100%. Yeah, rotation. So that, right. that you, you made a, a very excellent, valid point. That it's like, that's four key players in in your team one centre-back and three midfielders with those in the team it could have been a different complexion on the game a different result but I'm happy with the performance and happy with a point I, I will bring this up after we talk about it but you're playing on a pudding of a pitch which I've seen in League 2 and League 1 over here in the UK at Christmas time and the new year it looked horrific it's September and it's you're playing on a, a mud heap like that, or well, they've been playing rugby in there. <laughs> I know the Rugby World Cup is going on in France, but hey-ho. But it's a tough opposition. Torino are a good team. They're like Juric likes to play like Gasparini, so it's high-intensity, high-pressure, man-to-man. And you, you brought up Buongiorno against Lukaku. Buongiorno won pretty much 80% of it, and Lukaku hung in there and got the goal. Roma, it took them six, it took them 45 minutes to play to Lukaku's strengths. 
ball at his feet so he can back in, back in, back in, use his strength and then roll the defender. Look at the goal. What happened? Christensen's cross was blocked. It fell to Lukaku. What did he do? He rolled Bongiorno. One hit, one goal. Done. Perfect. Brilliant. It was just that slight concentration at the end for the free kick. I don't think it was a foul. I think Christensen may have got part of the ball, but from the... I can it looked very soft. Yeah, sure. I can understand why uh, it, was, it was Guido who was the ref, why he gave it. But for me, I, it looked very soft. It's probably not what the worst refereeing decision I've seen this weekend. That goes to you in the Bologna-Napoli game for the uh, Napoli penalty. But I can see why. Great cross in by Illich. Wonderful cross. That was meat and drink to Zapata. It was just that two defenders couldn't get that in front and it was a powerful header. I don't think it was coming. I see Roma fans on social media, oh, the goal was coming, we're defending too deep. No, it was just a set piece. And it, it was just a wonderful ball in and it it was on to Sapata's head. And then there was a couple of chances near the end for both teams. Like, I thought Bellotti would have got in for the, for the header. That was a wonderful ball in by Zaleski. And I was just like, oh, that's it, it's perfect. But it was um, Milinkovic Savage just got out there. That's not a penalty. I see Mancini asking the ref whether that was a penalty. Not a chance in a million years that was a penalty. Milinkovic Savage had eyes for the ball. Both players did. And he, it, it, he did the best to get there. And you do what you do. You wipe the player out going for the ball. But it was just frustrating because Cristante had a wonderful third man run from deep and he hit the post. If he got something on that, that would have been the first goal and then Lukaku's goal would have been the icing on the cake. But overall, it's not the end of the world. We're five games in. It's not like we're in February, March where we could be like third or fourth or fifth pushing for the European spot. It's five games in. Roma have got two good games before to serve that. They've got Genoa on Thursday, who are 16th, and they've got Frosinone, who are just literally killing it at the moment. But that's at home, and that could be a different atmosphere at the Stadio Olimpico. But just calm down, relax. It's not the end of the world. It's just a point on the road after a good week. Seven points out of three games and two competitions is not bad. It could have been nine. It could have been a lot worse. Because in, in Moldova, it could have been a lot worse. Could have got nothing out of that. But it's not the end of the world. It's frustrating because Roma had the game won and they were winning. And they were playing pretty well at times. But Juric with his attacking substitutions. Mourinho with some quite strange substitutions. I know you wanted to bring that up. But it's not the end of the world. A point to point. And it's... A well-earned, hard-fought point, but it could have been a lot better. Yeah, it certainly could have, Scott. And the frustrating part, and I mean, I'm, I guess we're used to it now by being Roma fans. We're always right there for something, just never. And that's the, the thing of the day for me. It's like the theme. We just never get over that line or never get over that hump. We're always just right there, whether it's a situation of a match or a season. It's just Roma's always right there, and that's the 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 emotion part that everybody we always talk about on on Twitter and or X or whatever the, uh, whatever you call, again whatever you call it yeah. X now <laughs> <laughs> they um 
were always just right there where they give you so much hope and emotion and then they just at the end it just you know like the uh it just doesn't get done sorry like like the uh the europa league final to make champions league like we're literally right there to make champions league or or in a, a situation like this against a tough team we're right there to win it and we we don't it's just that's the frustrating part i know i'm used to it as a fan but it still gets me frustrated every time but if you look at the overall game itself, it truly, it was it was a difficult game. The only thing I could really criticize, um, I don't think anyone played necessarily poor. Obviously, Zapata did very well. So I think in Dika, and I think it was Cristante in the, between the both of them that lost the marking on him. So you can look at that. And Mourinho subs. Mourinho, I, I'm sorry, I think he got the subs wrong. I thought Zaleski who had a good cross to Bilotti. I thought he was lost the whole game where he was playing because he was playing in front of Spinazzola. He wasn't even playing left wing back. Mm. So he he, he kind of looked lost. And I don't know how in that type of game, it's very scrappy. Um, you're, you have the lead. Who is the best player? There's two players that always come to mind. And I mentioned this last pod. Exactly. There are two players that always do better as a sub later in the games than as a start. One of them was starting, which was Al Sharari. And I think he started because Mourinho did not have a choice unless he wanted to play Bowie from the beginning. I don't think Mourinho had a choice because of what he said about Sanchez, Awar, and Pellegrini. That's three midfielders. And of course, you're not going to start Pagano. So it's right why he went back to the 3 4 2 1. But the other one who was available was Bove. Don't know how he doesn't see the field in the 75th minute and on. And I don't know, giving Dybala 90 minutes from, from what he said. He quoted this and again, could be playing mind games. He's never said this uh, in a while about Dybala saying he doesn't have 90 minutes in him. Even though I'd want him to, he doesn't have it in him, but he played 90. Which I was shocked to see on that pitch to Dybala playing 90. If there's a sub I can make. You know, Dybala fading out of the game. You bring on Balotti as a workhorse, and you bring on both, and you bring on Bove. You get Dybala out, and somebody else, well, Sharari, and you have Bove break up the play in the midfield, cause havoc, break up the flow of the game. That I think is what he should have done, or at least bring Bove in, and not play Dybala ninety. To me, the guy faded out in like the sixtieth, about the sixtieth minute, sixty fifth. He kind of faded out a little little before the goal, but he was kind of involved. But I, I don't know. That's to me, was the was the confusing part about Mourinho. Usually he's pretty good at getting subs, or he's pretty good at, at the, which will lead to my next point, he's pretty good at predicting things to come. And just that one he didn't get right. The hope, though, Scott, is if you saw what Mourinho said, he says, look at the standings more in December, January than now. It's not a true hey, idea. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I know the true ranking is trying to take off the pressure, but this is the actual true ranking. It is what it is. They are where they are. You know, they're whatever, what is it, between 13th and 15th spot. I don't even look at the table for now. So, um, but he said, look at the ranking in December and January. He's yep. pretty good at predicting things that will come. He's, he's very good at this. He's been right. Uh, a lot in the past uh, for even for other teams when he was with Chelsea, Man United, uh, and even Spurs. So 
I don't think he's ever said that before unless you've heard otherwise in his first two seasons to say, look at the rankings. He says he likes the team, and I truly believe it. So, again, we'll see where we are around the winter break. Um, it's frustrating, but, again, it's not its not too much cause for concern. It's just a tough team to play. I completely agree. What my friend and my late father used to say was, judge a team after 10 games and then have a look where they are at Christmas. This is 10 league games, so we were halfway through. Five points, so you lost to an awful performance against Hellas Verona away from home where you could have got something in the second half. Milan was just an abomination. You bounced back by battering the worst team in the league who actually did pretty well against Inter yesterday and could have got something out of the end. And you got a, a good point away against a team who I think could be pushing for Europe this season. Juric is in his, what, third season in Turin. He likes to build, I think he sees himself as a, a Gasparini 2.0 and he's doing really good. I completely agree. You look at a team, you don't judge the first five or six games because... I think after pre-season, you still come into terms with everyone gelling, the transfer market's still open, but then it closes before the season, uh, sorry, after the season has started in, in September after game three. So you've got that to deal with. You've got European games coming and you also get these double weeks where you have a midweek game along with the, the weekend games as well earlier in the season, don't you? It always happens like in the first two months of the season. So I completely agree. Um, I may be rumbling on, but like you, you judge a team not in the first few weeks of the season because you transfer market, gel, you, your players have to gel, you have injuries. Um, it probably takes a little bit longer for some players to get properly fit. Also, um, I remember hearing, reading a report about a former Swindon player saying, I, I felt comfortable after 10 games in. I felt more comfortable in my position. What I needed to do, this is a striker who scored a lot of goals for us um, after 10 games. He scored in three seasons, 25 plus. And that was at League One level. This was like 15, 20 years ago. But um it, it does take time, but I don't think us fans have patience, do they, Joey? They want results now, now, now. Where, like, Roma had a good transfer market with the with the funds and what they had available to them. They did all right. It's just that it, the consistency and injuries and stuff like that. That's what is just affecting us. But you got a good run of fixtures going up from October until the derby. You've got. Inter and Monza in, in October and some winnable games, but it's not the end of the world, guys. Just relax, take a chill pill, just chill. It's all right. Exactly. And I'll um I'll add to Scott and I always reflect back to last season for this. Again, we are not the same team as Inter Milan, but yeah. it's a good reference to use. Last year Inter Milan at uh Match match week eight, so that's eight games. They lost four of the first eight games. One of them was four. to Roma in October, wasn't One it? One of them was to Roma. Yeah. Okay, yes, I understand. Three of those losses were against the, let's say, the bigger opposition, 
you know, they lost to Lazio, they lost to Roma, and they lost to, I think it was the Derby to AC Milan um, in that in that span where they lost 3-2. I think I think Leal scored that wonderful goal. Oh, yeah, did, Gir- did Olivier Giroud get two, I think, in that game? Or was that a different season? I'll quickly Google it. He got one, Leal got two. Uh, fair um, enough. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I I had my mic mute. <laughs> my mic muted. So, <laughs> so I did. You can continue, Joey. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So it's just to say, you know, I I know they did play three of the big. They lost uh, three of the big teams out of the four, but they still lost four of eight matches. So it it's just to say, like, and they made the objective that Roma wants. They were third last year because they tore it towards the end. Once Roma can figure that out, I feel maybe not at the same pace as Inter, but they can sort of do the same. Once they figure out, then everybody's back. So losing four of your first eight games, they still made their our objective, actually, that we want this Champions year. With yeah, they made third. So, um, again, I'm frustrated, but I always reflect back that Inter had this horrific start last season. And to me, if a team can do it, like, if a team could do it like them, or even take Juventus, uh, there's so many years. Roma won the first 10, 11 games of the season, that, that magical Rudy Garcia year. Mm. Juventus were poor to start, or the year we got Dzeko. Uh, the year we got Dzeko, um, I believe Juventus were so poor at the start. They couldn't win many games. They couldn't figure anything out in the first 10. They ended up winning the whole league. By distance. Years. By, By distance. distance, yeah. Exactly. I will look it up, but I remember Jekyll's first season. Juventus had like maybe three wins of their first 10, four wins of their first 10. It was pretty bad, and they won the whole thing. And that's not even our objective. Our objective is to make Champions League. So I'm really frustrated, for sure. I'm really annoyed, definitely. But again, after five games, when there's 33 uh, more to play, in Serie A, and you just played um, two game. You just played two, three days ago against uh, against Sheriff in Moldova. It's we knew it was going to be a tough task. We said Scott about the scheduling again. Again, every Europa League game we play away, so we knew it's going to be a tough task. And we have another game coming up. We gotta forget and move on. We have a game coming up mm. against Genoa. I know, and it's another tricky game, and it's our favorite referee. So we need full focus. We can't dwell on the past. Second favorite. Second, maybe second favorite for you. First favorite for me. So. Oh, Fabio Maresca will always always be number one. I was in the stadium where they were chanting at him for the Spezia game, but it's Mister Orsato, which is the referee for that game. Thank you, Joe, for bringing that up. You've really made my Monday. <laughs> <laughs> I brought some brightness to the to your Monday, Scott. Um, you made a good point on that Juventus season. I think it was either 15 or 16 or 16, 17 when they had the slowest start. Um, didn't they win like 17 out of their next 19 games or something like that on a yeah. stretch from like November to February, March time under Allegri? I think that was Allegri's second or third season. So they sort of clicked. I think, yeah, it was like 51 points out of 54 or something like that. Something ridiculous. And they coasted the league by a mile. And the same thing happened in, 
Ah, uh, fifteen, sixteen. They had that really slow start, but it, it happens. Teams start slow, and when they start to gel and everything starts to align, and you start to see these patterns of play on the pitch, it clicks just like that. At times, it clicked yesterday. It looked good. At times, it didn't. But we managed to get away from a point. Sorry, they managed to get away with a point in Turin because it could have been a lot worse if um, some of the Torino players had their shooting boots on, like Dembrasek and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, he's fast. He's quick, but he's in, in a lot of trouble off the field at the moment with his yeah. ex-girlfriend. Yeah. And I'm just going to leave it like that because I don't want to get myself into any hot water or get this podcast into hot water. There is articles online that came out today about it. Football Italia did put something out. But um, I wanted to bring something up before we talked about the Genoa game. We were talking off pod about it. Um, it, this does bring into light about what we brought up just a minute ago about the form and stuff. It's like, Joey, our fans, is either, it's either hit or miss, isn't it? It's either feast or famine. There is a lot of toxic, toxicity online. Um, I hardly go on X now anyway. Um, and sometimes I read the stuff and I'm like, I don't need this. I'm 36. I just want to relax and enjoy my life and not read some that absolute comments about yesterday's performance and I'm just like at times I'm like I'm thinking what game are you watching I know you're you're entitled to your own opinion and that's that's wonderful and that you're entitled to that but some of the stuff is like pure meltdown because this us our support is so emotional and it's ridiculous and like I put a tweet out uh I was um and an R and I thankfully I bought and I did it and I was hoping for a, I'd get a bite or two, but I didn't. I think some of the fan base that replied back were pretty spot on and agreed with what I said, but Jesus fucking Christ, it's unbearable at times. It's like all or nothing. It's the highs, it's the highs and it's the lows of the lows. And it's like, oh, we're shit. Yeah, but why are we shit? Oh, because they can't do anything. But wh- why? You have to explain yourself with rationale to this. And it just doesn't make sense. No, it, it doesn't, Scott. But I, I feel like Roma, the, the fans embody the, the team on the highs and the lows. Like the team mm. itself has highs and lows. And Roma fans seem to um, have gotten used to it. So... It 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 goes on to them as well. They just embody it. They just they take they take it and they emotionally um, they emotionally show it as what Roma do on the field. I again, some people like ourselves like you know like to obviously relax and uh, just be easy about it and not be well. I'm frustrated, but not be like in a complete meltdown. But others, I seem I see get. Uh, I get emotionally involved. I don't know how best to describe it, but they just seem to, it's, you know, it's, it's complete meltdown, like end of the world type stuff. And unfortunately they just, they just, I don't know. They just are emotionally invested into it, Scott. And, or some people it just, uh, it's just how we are these days. We take it to heart and just some people express it really in like an extreme level. And they just seem to, 
uh, not be able to control themselves or they're just impatient. And that's what most of the fan base seen. I just think, Scott, they, a lot of them went through so many ups and downs, so many difficult seasons. It's just how they are. They're just naturally like this now. It's just a habit. Because, you know, if you're a Juventus, to me, if you're a Juventus supporter, an Inter supporter, if you're a supporter of uh, take other big teams in uh, in Europe, like City, Madrid, you know, you're used to winning. You have one bad season, it might happen. Maybe you have a small meltdown, but most of the time you're winning the games, you don't hear much. Us, it's very, it's very 50-50. We win a game, we're the best in the world. We lose the game, we're the worst. Yeah, we're, we're a very we're... passionate fan base. And mm. I think that's... That's an embodiment of how the club has been during its tenure. We're just, we're just, we don't win as much, so we're very passionate when we do because I think people tend to, or want to, sorry, want things usually that they can't have or they don't get mm. very often. So when they do, they celebrate it or enjoy it as much as they can. And this is still a sport in the end. So when we lose and we don't get what we want, obviously we're fully disappointed. We're having a meltdown about it. So. That's what I'm saying is we're, we're just as up and down as the teams are. But, yeah, you're right. Uh, I mean, people have meltdowns very early and they're just not patient. So yeah, it is what it is. And I, I've tried to learn to accept it. But, I mean, we cannot change how everybody is. It's just I'm glad to see we're very passionate about it. But we, we don't need the meltdown, not, not this early on and not just yet. I've learned to accept it. Look, I've been following this club 19 years. I've been watching football 29 years going to games and watching it when my like, since I was seven. I'm 36 now. I support two clubs. We're both are passionate fans and both are quite fickle supporters of their team also. I've learned to live with it. Like, I, but I didn't expect it this early in the season twice, maybe three times this season after five, six games in all competitions. Like, remember, just remember where this team has been in the last couple of years. You've been to two European finals, won one and was... Sorry to bring this up, Joey. I know you get PTSD about PTSD, it. PTSD, right? yep. Yeah, sorry, but we were... Very close to winning the other against a team who are perennial Europa League champions against a referee who, I'm not going to name names, got abuse at the weekend also uh, during the Man City Forest game. And my mate, who's a Chelsea fan, despises him as a referee because he did the Chelsea-Liverpool game earlier in the season and they knew that Chelsea would struggle. He sent me a message like a week before going, guess who's a ref for this game? You hate him. I hate him. And oh yeah, I know. But it's just like this team will take time to gel. I've met, like, it takes time. As fans, they don't have patience. They either want it now, now, now. And with the art of social media, everyone's an art, like a critic and as, sees themselves as a armchair supporter, which is fine. And they probably see themselves as an armchair coach. But with that, it comes problems because you just see meltdown out and meltdown after meltdown. And it's on social media. And it's just unbearable at times. Just, just relax. Just like 
don't need to be like this all the time. You don't need to take it to heart all the time. Like we've learned how to deal with things in the past. If that was, I I was one of these people 10, 12 years ago. Now I don't really care. I like, I hate social media now. It's a cancerous poison social media platform. And I see some of the stuff and I, I just laugh. Like I saw yesterday or this morning, a Roma player who came on yesterday got abuse on social media and now has disabled his comments on Instagram. Oh yeah, with Zaleski, see, look, he had a bad game, but that's uncalled for. It's not needed. That's that's the problem. Is that we're going a little too far now. He, uh, he, he didn't play well. I agree. Yeah, and Rod, same thing happened to Roger Ibanez last season after the derby. Right, but now everyone seems to miss Ibanez, and and now everyone misses him. Exactly. It's just, it's just a strange situation i love the roma fan base very passionate at times i've been to rome lots of times they're very welcoming and stuff like that but it can be at times quite toxic quite meltdown base and it's just you don't need to go this early you don't need to go six games into the season that was my rant that was my rant scott i'll i'll add to it too like we're we're just speaking of a by the way, the percentage is very small. I, I would say it's pretty small mm. or not not big enough that the percentage of the, the the Roma fans that are on X and Twitter is the ones is the ones obviously that are having the meltdown most here. It's a very small uh, percentage of the actual fan base. So maybe uh, the passion part is all there, but there are a lot there. Uh, there's a lot of fans, or probably most fans, that, are, that don't even express any emotion on social media. Or don't see anything at all. So this is just a very small percentage of the fan base that that you know post on social media. So I, I, the Roma fan base in general, I don't think is mostly like this about the meltdown part. The, the passion, yes, you're right. I mean, the mm-hmm. ones that want to go see Lukaku, you know, or Dybala, the Dybala, Jeko, Jeko. Definitely, the passion is there that we know. But this is only a small percentage that have these meltdowns. I think most. Roma fans, I know a few that don't ever post on social media. They're very mm, level. Frustrated about the draw, you know. I have a friend actually in in Italy now. He's going to go watch a Roma game very shortly, and we spoke. And he's, you know, he said that it sucks about the draw, but again, we spoke about teams in the past that have had horrific starts and either won the league or made the objective we want. So mm. I, I just, I just think it's too early to have the meltdown. So we just need to be patient. And um, last thing I'll add to it as well, Scott, is I really wanted to check that Juventus season. So this was another great example. It was 2015-2016. Mm-hmm. Um, first 10 games, they had three losses and three draws in the first 10 games. They, sorry, f- uh, four losses and three draws in the first 10 games. Four losses, three draws. That means they only had three wins in the first 10 games. They won the league. So they, look, they went on a crazy run. I get it. They they drew and lost only one game the rest of the season. But we're not there to win the league. We're just there to um, we're just there to make Champions League. So it is doable if we just get everything right. People come back from from injury. It is doable. So again, the meltdown. I think it's a little too early. 
And I think we just need to wait and see what this team do. I'm going to go on Mourinho's words. Let's see where we are by December. December time. See where we are at Christmas after the, is it the Napoli game? Which is the last one before the new year? Was that no? That's Juventus, isn't it? Juventus away on the 29th or thirtieth. But just let let's see where we are after ten games, and let's see where we are at Christmas going into New Year. That's exactly. where you seal the real Roma, right? Genoa Thursday. They just recently lost to Lecce, who are absolutely flying at the moment. But Genoa are in sixteenth. Um. Played five, won one, drawn one, lost three. That win is against Roma City rivals who are directly above them on four points. Um, they've had... So they lost to Lecce on Friday. They drew against Napoli in a game they really should have won. Uh, they beat Lazio and then... Lost, sorry, they lost to Torino. Sorry, they lost. They beat uh, Lazio, and then on the opening day of the season, they got obliterated by Fiorentina. Um, I've seen them a couple of times. I've seen them twice this season. They played pretty well against Napoli, and they sort of folded in the last fifteen twenty minutes when I think Napoli scored like two in like five or six minutes. Yeah, two in eight minutes. Raspadori scored a Waldi and then Politano scored with six minutes left. Like, Shouldn't not... they have had a penalty or something, Scott, that game? Was it that uh, game Napoli? It could have been. Um, I, there I'm... was something when they were up 2-0. Anyways, I, I forget, but they still played a, a decent game overall. Yeah, I, I can't remember because it was a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Um, they lost to Lecce on Friday, who, as I said earlier, are flying. Remy Udan scored an absolute worldie. Like, Lecce a third. That's yeah. bonkers. They're unbeaten. They've won three, drawn two. Um, they did lose. So who got sent off? It was Aaron. Aaron Caracal got sent off for general after 36 minutes. Like they've got a they've got a not a bad team. It's the left, but oh, it's Aaron Martin. Yeah, uh, they've got not a bad team. Um, it's like they've got Retigi. He's a good striker. Like the midfield is like experienced in Serie A, isn't it? Strutman, Bedell, Sabelli at right wing, Freundrup. They've got Dragerson at the back. Barney, who scored against. Um, Napoli, there's Aaron uh, Goodmanson's a good player. I know he's got a bit of a, a checkered past. There's a story in um, in Iceland at the moment about uh, an incident that may have happened a couple of years ago, which he, he denies. Yeah, Malinowski, who's brought, been brought in. It, it's not a bad team. No, it, it's not. Uh, certainly, and what uh, what doesn't mix well this game for us, besides obviously the referee, is. Um, is the fact that we're playing in Genoa in uh, in a stadium? I always feel we struggle against either Genoa or Sampdoria, so um, they're very tough to crack. Once you break them, then yeah, they fall apart. The thing is, it's a matter of breaking them first. That's that's the the thing with Genoa. Um, we saw it against Napoli; they were very very difficult to play for almost the whole match and right until the end. And then they gave up that goal and. 
they just started to uh, panic and they fell apart and they gave up another one. They drew that game. But they're not a bad team. Uh, honestly, I think Goodmanson has been their best player. I've seen to have watched a few more Genoa games than I predicted because, you know, they played some of the bigger teams so far. And watching Goodmanson, he's been he's been really a lively player. Very, very, uh, very creative. Uh, he mixes well with Teggy. And a guy like Malinovsky can always do damage against us. I mean, he's, he's scoring on us in the past with Atalanta. It just my always my biggest worry is playing them at the um, the Ferrara Stadium, which we always seem to struggle. So if we want to win, we got to dominate the midfield. I mean, they got two guys that are old, that are pretty slow, that run the midfield. So if Roma want to win, they got to really, really dominate, overrun yeah. the midfield. Yeah, I mean, they have. I love Struman Scott. I'll never forget his time at Roma that first season, especially I was over the moon. I remember when they first signed him, um, I was actually in Europe. Uh, I was, I think I was in London. Yeah. When they actually, when they signed him in 2013 and I was over the moon when they signed him, I remember reading so much about him and he was just amazing to watch in that first season. There was a reason um, Rudy Garcia called him the washing machine. Yes. Yeah, I and I remember there was this crazy video if I could still find it. It was like a forty-five minute clip of his 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 first season at Roma. It was just that one season, and he was just dominant. The goal he scored against Napoli in the Coppa Italia. So, but then he got obviously the injuries with the ACL tears just kind of hampered his career. And now where he is, they're doing very well. But again, a guy like Struman who's who's slow has bad knees. A guy like uh, but that. But how do you say it, Badel or Badej? Badel. Badel, right? Okay, yeah, the J is silent. Him too. I mean, they, they're old but experienced. The thing is, if we want to win it, we got to dominate. We got to overrun and dominate that midfield. And we just we got to look lively. We got to look lively at their stadium. And hopefully if we score early on, I think they're, they'll be breakable. And then we can get uh, a few more than afterwards. Fingers crossed, because that's what Fiorentina did in the first game of the season, they scored early and they scored after four minutes and they were what, three nil up at half time. And it silenced the crowd. It, to be honest, this was Genoa's first game in Serie A after coming up. So they were a little wet behind the ears, a little green. And just like they won at Lazio the weekend after. They were tough to beat. Uh, Scott, yeah. in, in Rome, they were very tough to beat. I watched that game. Uh, I was a, uh, I was a Genoa supporter for two hours. They were <laughs> <laughs> they were extremely tough to break down. Um, it's if you score that first goal, I think you're good from there. The thing is, is obviously it's not going behind, and it's uh, it's being able to score. I'd say relatively early on to break them down. I think it's that first goal is the toughest. It happened against Napoli. As soon as that first one went in, I had that feeling, and it was going to happen. The second one going as well. They started to panic. And as soon as they give up a goal, for me, Genoa starts to panic. So they start to clear the ball, lose passes. Um, so we, we have to score that first goal. And we have the guys to do it. I'm not afraid now with Lukaku having, uh, you know, if this was Abraham, I'm sorry to, I'm not really shitting on Abraham. I'm just going off his last season and Balotti last season. We had guys like Balotti and Abraham going into that tough environment. I'd say to get a goal, it's going to be extremely tough unless Dybala magic. But now we have two guys. And I assume Lukaku would start, and I can see him 
even if he doesn't score, making an impact where we do score. If he's, you know, taking up defenders or they're worried about him, might give space to somebody else because they're going to keep their eyes on him now. It's three starts, three goals. So he's really, uh, he can even compete, Scott, after even missing two games. He can compete for the Capo Carroniere. I mean, it's not out of the question. He might not beat Latauro Martinez, but he can come close if he keeps this up. So he's going to be a handful for defenders. And with him, I always believe in these tough environments, we'll at least get a goal or two that we need to win the game. Agreed. I've just looked on Gazetta, the formation website. I know it's early days, but uh, we're two days, or three days away because it's Thursday they kick off. Yeah, Yeah. I've got... Uh, so their team is three five two. Genoa is four four two. So it's Rui Patricio in goal. This is what Gazetta are going for. Patricio in goal. Back three: Mancini, Lorente, and Dicker. Um, five in midfield with Christensen and Spinazzola as the wing backs. Cristante, Paredes, Awa is a midfield trio, and the Dybala, Lukaku up front. I'll be happy with that. That's not a bad start in 11. I say not bad. That's a pretty good start in 11. Though I, I did read on Roman Press earlier that Smalling is definitely out of that game. He's been ruled out. And you've got Abraham out, Kumbula out, and excuse me, Renato Sanchez. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's not a bad formation too. I like the balance more of the 3-5-2 than I do Same. the 3-2-1. Um, it was a mix of Genoa and that, uh, sorry, Torino in that formation where, again, the build-up at times were hard, but I'll always say I prefer the balance of the 3-5-2. So, and I want Dybala closer to goal. I saw his heat map yesterday and he was more of a, he was playing more on the touchline and he just needs to be, it could have been the type of game, but he just needs to be more central. Mm. And uh, I'm glad if they go back to that formation and, and that lineup. Because technically with him in the team, you're basically playing a 3-5-1-1 because he's got that floating role behind the striker. Yep, and that's his best position. I'll, I'll always say it. That is that is his best position. I completely agree. Um, do you have anything else to add? Uh, no, that's all from me. I think that pretty much wraps up this podcast. Um you can follow us at themagicast.com. You can find all of our previous catalogue of episodes on the website. And you can find us on all podcast platforms. So you Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, etc., etc. I was trying to think of more um, podcast platforms. And I went blank. Um, Joey, thank you for joining me on this Monday afternoon for you. Because I think it was just tricked over into afternoon. Yes, it has. Uh, sun is shining bright. Going to catch on fresh air. Going to relieve all the frustrations of the match that just happened. So, uh, yeah, we just got into the afternoon and uh, looking forward to Thursday. And don't worry, Roma fans. I think we'll we'll be better in a few months' time. Yeah, just it's it's like we've got a good run of fixtures in Serie A before playing Inter and Mon. Also, I think I think we play Monza then Inter. And then in November, there's the derby. So it will be okay. No, just be fine. Don't need to go completely overboard just six weeks in. Six weeks in, six games in. Jesus Christ, Scott English. Um, Joey, thank you once again for joining me. Absolute pleasure. Uh, we'll be back on Friday to review uh, Roma in Genoa and then talk about the Frosinone game on Sunday because it's the return 
It's the return of EDF. The Francesco Ball, baby. It's back. Oh. 4 3 3. Can't beat it. I might start singing Return of the Mac. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the couch, Enjoy the football around the world. We'll speak soon. Ciao. Ciao. Thank you.